Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo and Golik. Wow, that's how my voice sounds right now. Mike wow. Golick Jr., Mike Golick Sr., Jesse Cofield holding it down for us in the DraftKings studio in Boston. We got a great show for you guys today, despite how I sound. Um, Fun one covering all the reaction from the NFL's championship weekend that we saw play out yesterday, the controversial decisions. We also have our friend Matthew Barry, who you guys can see, former colleague of ours over at ESPN, doing a great job over at NBC now. He'll be by with us in the second hour of the show to hang out. And, Dad, my voice sounds like this because I'm yeah. coming to you guys live from the DraftKings Sportsbook here in Wrigleyville in uh, in Chicago. It was awesome yesterday. We did a game watch here with the folks at Bear for the uh, – uh, both championship games. It was rocking in here. And as you can see, I got way too excited and I kind of blew out the air on this thing. Yeah. That's the one thing that you definitely do is you get loud. Well, you're, you're even, even in, in, in church, you would be loud just basically in a church type setting where you're supposed to be quiet. You come off as loud. So for you having to be at a watch party where there's a lot of people already, so there's noise in there, and you already talking loud, having to talk even louder uh, through two games, I could see that happening. You're going to need your Brandon, who is out there, Brandon Newman out there with you. We're going to have to get some tea for you. you got to soothe the vocal cords a little bit, soothe that throat, get some hot tea for you because – yeah, you got that. Uh, it's something when you start to lose your voice because of the booming voice you have. Yeah, I uh, tried to soothe my vocal cords with about 15 beers on Friday night, too. So that might not have helped the yeah. cause, but we're still looking for the final culprit on a lot of this behavior here. And, Dad, it got even worse because I in this state with my voice sounding like this had to try and be comforting here yesterday because I didn't realize this in the Chicago area. A lot of Detroit lions fans had come out of the woodwork during the course of this season. You're in the Midwest. You're not super far from there. The Bears' season was a bit of a struggle and everyone we talked to around here in the area said the same thing is the lions fans had overrun bars around certain areas of Chicago. And that was the case here in the afternoon game for the NFC championship game. And the swing from first half to second half for these poor people who are all so conditioned to expect the absolute worst thing that could possibly happen at any given time to their organization to happen and who had gone through this season finally wondering could Dan Campbell have pulled us through that era now to a point where the Detroit Lions fans can actually expect happiness and the cheers in here to the dead deadly uncomfortable silence when you had that wild set eight minute span of that game where it went from the Lions looking like they were going to run away and hide with this thing after a 24-7 halftime lead to giving up that 17-point comeback, the fourth time we have had a comeback of 17 or more points on conference championship weekend in the NFL. Dad, you could hear a mouse fart in this place. It was so, so sad. So uh, what, what did you make, Dad, of well, that swing in the game here? Obviously, the Lions stormed out to a huge lead, looked like they were going to boat raise this thing, and now we're going to spend an entire day talking about Dan Campbell fourth down decision-making. 
Yeah, we are. You know, we, we got some things to talk about before we even even get to that because for Detroit fans, really just kind of holding your breath and crossing your fingers going into the game, right? You're going to San Francisco. San Francisco is a very, you know, vet, outside of the quarterback, a pretty veteran team as far as getting to this point, you know, and even to the Super Bowl one of the years. So they've had experience here. I think they showed – the list of players that had experience this far, and it was a gaggle of them on San Francisco and three of them uh, for uh, for Detroit. That was it. So they weren't used to this position at all. Certainly their fans were. So it's still four teams. I think the, the, the latest, you know, that came in in 95, the Texans and Jacksonville and the Cleveland Browns and Detroit as far as not getting to a Super Bowl in the Super Bowl era. So uh, you were going into the game, you know, nervously excited. And then, I mean, Detroit just absolutely was blowing the doors off San Francisco. We were all sitting there going, are you kidding me? While we got a low-scoring, close-score game in the first game, it, it, yeah. was, it was kind of eye-opening to, oh, man, Baltimore still got a, a ways to go, and there's a lot of ways to go in that one uh, as well. But to come out in the first half, as you mentioned, 24-7, to the first half, Detroit had 280 total yards, 148 rushing yards, and this is where San Francisco had been susceptible against the run. And you saw Detroit banging some outside runs, going for distance up the middle. They had control of this game. They had 18 first downs as well. Goff was 13-20 for 145 yards. Purdy was under 50%, 7-15. I did the game the week earlier against Green Bay when he didn't look that good. And here he was under 50% again. And with the interception in San Francisco, when he had 131 total yards. Let me tell you where I got worried too, not only for San Francisco and their fans and the team, but as they were getting blown out, Here's Purdy throwing the interception and forgetting the interception because what happened the previous year against Philadelphia? Purdy was throwing the ball and he got yeah. his arm hit. That was the end of the game for San Francisco. You know, they, they end up, you know, going through every quarterback in the book, a running back's playing quarterback. In this one, Josh Pascal, the D lineman for Detroit, he, he's the one who caused that interception. He hit Purdy's hand as he released the ball, and Malcolm Rodriguez got an easy balloon interception. But my thought was, oh, my God, the beginning of the year before that, yep. when Ryan Radke and I were doing the D Dallas-Tampa Bay game, I saw that exact same play where Dak Prescott got hit and busted his thumb and was out for six weeks. I thought, oh, my God, he's going to get hit in the, in, the, in the hand this time like the arm last year, and he's going to be hurt. But luckily for San Francisco fans, he was not. I thought, you have got to be kidding me, two years in a row. Uh, so they got out of that abysmal first half. And then they, they made a run. Listen, we all know they had the ability to make the run. We all knew – Detroit's secondary was susceptible to the passing yep. game and the overall offense of San Francisco. We, we all knew that going in. And Detroit, give them credit. They did a great job in the first half, not only on offense, but on defense as well. So kudos to them. But third quarter, as I've always said for decades now, even as a player, is what happens in the third quarter? What adjustments do you make in the third quarter by what's working against you? How do you change that, whether it's just by, by actual scheme or by execution and X's and O's? Whatever it is, and here comes San Francisco making that run, and that's where I would imagine the Detroit fans all over the place, including where you were in Chicago at the DraftKings Sportsbook, started going, uh-oh, this, this is really happening now to us. Yeah, it, it got real very quickly because you're right. This fan base is wired to look for the first sign of the impending dread and start to wonder if this is going to be the end of it. And for it to happen as quickly as it did, Dad, you barely had time to process a lot of it. I want to start by giving the 49ers credit because yes. for – Brock Purdy for Kyle Shanahan, there had been a lot of talk about this team being more front runners, being a team. I, I don't mean front runners as they ride that wave, but that they're right. not built to come from behind, that that wasn't a tool that they had in their belt. And now back to back weeks, you saw the tweet from Rich Samini. If you're watching on DraftKings Network there, teams that had had a lead of 17 or more at the half 
were 21 and 0 in conference championship games. It was the largest second half deficit overcome in an NFL conference championship game. And so for Kyle Shanahan to be able to call their way through that, for Brock Purdy to make some big plays, especially with his legs. Brock Purdy, I thought five oh. carries for 48 yards was the difference in this game when you compared him and Jared Goff, yep. two quarterbacks that we said on paper, very similar in what they're asked to do within the bodies of their offense in a lot of the criticisms levied at those guys. But you saw the difference in this game was when Jared Goff had to move his feet off the spot, when he was pressured, we talked about it coming off the regular season. The drop-off from Jared Goff when he has a clean pocket to Jared Goff when he's pressured is the largest drop-off in QBR of any quarterback in the NFL. And you saw it show up in this game versus Brock Purdy, who was able to make it happen. Debo Samuel played his ass off coming off, yep. wondering if he was going to play at all with the banged-up shoulder, eight catches for 89 yards there, a guy that really stretched the field laterally. Christian McCaffrey ran really hard in this one, Dad. So give the Niners their due. Those yeah. guys found a way to make big plays, and that defense overcame getting gashed early on in this one so even down 17 at half they still stayed true they ended up with 35 or 31 passes and 33 runs down 17 at halftime when you think the game plan's going out the book and they're gonna have to throw themselves back into it now they certainly did to a point uh, but they still stay true to who they were because you have Christian McCaffrey. And this guy turns a, what would, should be a one-yard gain into a six-yard gain. He's incredible uh, at doing that. So, I mean, there, there were a few points in this game. And I know we want to talk about yeah. the fourth down plays. But I want to go to the end first since we'll put the fourth down plays together. I don't understand. And, and Greg Olson was doing a really good job talking about this. Um when Detroit was on the goal line, don't waste a timeout. Okay, they had three timeouts. There was a little yep. over a minute to go. And if you can score a touchdown, which they did, without burning one of your timeouts, you don't have to onside kick it. The, the percentages of an onside kick recovery are so low in the NFL, it's ridiculous. So they threw, they threw a pass, and then they were, like, what, on the one- or two-yard line, and I, yeah. I think Greg was even saying, you know, they could run it here, but you better get in because if you waste a timeout, then you are guaranteeing yourself with a score, you have to onside kick it. I don't know why they try to run. I don't know why. I don't know why they even put themselves in that position. They ran the ball. Kudos to San Fran. They stuffed it. Detroit had to burn a timeout. And there went your chance because understand where I'm going here. If you pass yeah, the no, ball... I'm and, well, I know you do. I know you do. Yeah. Um, if there's a minute or a little bit less than a minute and you have all three of your timeouts, you can kick the ball off. You have three timeouts to stop them, and you're going to get the ball back, maybe not with a ton of time left, but you're going to get the ball back without having to onside kick it. So why they ran that one there, Mike, I do not know. No, I, and I think that's the far more egregious decision-making point that we can talk about here when it comes to what we're going to deal with with fourth down decisions from Dan Campbell in this game, because I agree with you. No reason to do that there, given the restraints. The biggest enemy you have is the clock. The biggest asset you have is those timeouts, and to use it at that point knowing those restrictions. I, I get you'd been hyper-aggressive all year. I get the ground game had been really good to you all day, but in that moment, you're right. I agree. That, to me, stands out more and probably should get talked about a lot more than it's going yep. to today relative to the two fourth down decisions because one of them came at the beginning of the sec of the eight-minute run from the San Francisco 49ers. So let's get to the fourth down calls, Dad. In general, what was your thought process on here? We can look at them both specifically because I think the second fourth down decision by Dan Campbell late in that game is a little bit more of a different conversation than the first fourth down decision that he made. But that first fourth down decision was the one that kicked off the run for the 49ers where they came storming back. In general, Dad, what I will say, and I think Greg Olson said it really well on the broadcast, is this is about process versus outcomes. This year, the Detroit Lions went for it on 34% of their fourth downs. Right. It was the highest rate of any team this century. They had done it at that level the entire year. You can blame analytics, but this is really a Dan Campbell thing. He is a hyper-aggressive right. yes. decision-maker and always has been this year. And I look at that and say, Dad, I don't want my head coach to all of a sudden change who we are in the last game of the season. I want to be who we've been because I know what to expect from him and he knows what to expect from us. The first fourth down decision, you had a drop there on a play where he should have had it yeah. in a spot yeah. where they had a big lead at that point. 
The second one, there was pressure. It kind of undid it in that moment. If you told me one of them you would take the points, it probably would have been the second one for me. I can question that decision when you're down three and you've got a chance to tie in that spot. But the first one, I had zero issue with the go there. Both in cases, the ESPN analytics model slightly favored the go, but they were coin flip decisions that the so hyper-aggressive coach who had been hyper-aggressive all year decided to make and stick with. So you said it, 34% of the time it goes for it on fourth down, by far the most. 18 times they had converted on fourth and three or less. I, 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 I'm, getting, I, I'm getting sick of the word analytics, not for analytics' sake. I, I think that's just making people think too much. It's information. I, I forgot who said it. We should just say it's more information. It might have been Mina Kimes. I, I don't remember. It's information. We say analytics and people think it's the F word. I mean, it, it's, there's nothing wrong with information. But, Mike, I guess my point is, though I, I, I guess I go on the other side because when I'm playing blackjack, if the dealer has seven or higher and I have 16 every single time I'm hitting, every single without fail, I will hit a 16 every time the dealer has a seven or higher. It's not like, well, we're at the end of the end of the deck. I'm not sure, you know, maybe there's not, you know, and I yep. certainly don't, I'm not smart enough to count cards. So I, I get the thought process of this is what I do. But I think there are times when you have to say you got to go with your gut or, a, or his gut says go for it or go yeah. with a different situation. So seven minutes left in the third, fourth and two, at the San Francisco 30-yard line. So you go for it, or you're kicking a 48-yard field goal. Now, Michael Badgley, your kicker, has only kicked in four games, and he was four for four on field goals. But he had missed his last, I think he was one of three since the beginning of last year, on kicks over 40 yards outdoors. I don't know how much that played into it. I have no idea. My thought for kicking it there, Mike, you're up 24 to 10. That's two scores. A field goal puts you up three scores. That was my thought of why I may have kicked that one there because of the, of, of the difference of two score and three score. You, you, you could have gone up 27 to 10 instead of staying up 24 to 10. That was my th thought on that one. I'm with you on the last one. So seven and a half minutes to go in the game. Now, you it would have been a longer field goal. You're on the San sure. Francisco 37-yard line. So you're talking about a 55-yarder there that would have tied the game 27-all, and it was fourth and three. So that one was a little longer of a field goal. Uh, Badgley had made one field goal of 50 yards this year. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to guess it was inside, but I think it was. I think it was, in, I think it was uh, indoors. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess there's part of me that says I get what he does, but I also need to look at the situation. This one situation says we go up three scores – and not two against a team that can score pretty well, but we're up three now. And the other is, well, we can tie the game, So, if, but if we don't get it, the other team, in this case San Francisco, has the ball and they're playing with the lead. So I can question both of them, not to the point where I'm going to say, oh, my God, it was a horrible decision, but I, I would have questioned both of them as to why I, I could have made a good argument in my mind of why I would have kicked the field goals. I, I guess the way I look at this is those decisions are based on the track record and the trend from this entire year. In at least one case, the ball hit Josh Reynolds right in the damn hand. It did. And you got to yes, catch the ball. And yes. my whole point is this is going to get talked about a lot more. And we we did this too. We made the mistake everyone else is going to. This is going to get talked about a lot more than the fact that they had, what, four drops in the second half? Plenty yes. of which that yes. were catchable balls. The fact that the yes. Niners ate... The run that the Niners went on after the first failed fourth down conversion involved a bounced pass off of the face mask of one of the defenders for the Lions that went directly yep. through his hands and into Brandon Ayuk's waiting arms that he just happened to catch. And then a Jameer yep. Gibbs fumble because he went the wrong way on the subsequent drive after that. Right. This is a dumb game with a stupid shaped football. And in this case, there were execution errors by the Lions in those critical moments that allowed the 49ers to come back and win this that I think played a far bigger role in this yep. than any of these decisions that Dan Campbell made that are, again, the same thing he's been doing all year. The difference, the theme is the Lions had made plays in these spots all year, and they didn't. And in this game, one quarterback in Brock Purdy was able to make plays when things broke down, and the other quarterback in Jared Goff, as soon as he got pressured, immediately could not make the ball go anywhere downfield near a receiver.
This is no different than any other game we talk about, Mike, where there's a missed field goal at end or a drop pass at the end, and we'll, the team will go into the locker room afterward and say, listen, it doesn't come down to one play. We had our opportunities. And you're right. These fourth downs, and I think we both agree, the run at the goal line before they passed for the touchdown yes. – of the three was the most egregious. And I still don't, I will not, you can't convince me that that was ever the right move to throw, to, to run the ball there, given the, the luxury of three timeouts. That being said, people are going to talk about the fourth down plays. For the most part, Mike, I do not have a problem with them. I could have justified if they kicked them, but I'm not going to lose my mind on them either because this is the way Dan ran his team. And just as you pointed out, and you're right, there are so many other opportunities that were left out on that field that those players are going to think about way more than the fact that they didn't make those fourth down plays. Jared Goff said it after the game. We trust our coaches fourth down decision-making. We've yep. got to go out there and make plays. And they trust that because that's who they've been consistently. There's going to be the outcome crowd that comes here and says, take the points because hyper-conservative football has dominated in the postseason. Most of us, probably myself included, will curl up in the fetal position and do the easy thing there. But Dan Campbell said it after the game. I'm going to stand up and take the heat because that's my job, but I regret nothing. Growing up playing sports, I learned really quickly that how you do the little things is how you're going to do everything. That's why coaches always harped on us about having our hand behind the line on sprints or picking up our locker because that was going to directly translate to critical moments on the field, making sure we're lined up right, taking the right steps so we can go out there and execute and win ball games. Small actions can have big benefits, just like how taking care of your gut can support your entire body's health. That's where our friends at Seed come into play. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is going to benefit your gut, skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I just got my welcome kit and started taking Seed's DSO-1 myself and I'm loving it. I love the convenience of being able to have it in the cabinet with my other supplements because you don't need to worry about refrigerating it and I love the free travel vial that comes along with it. I'm constantly on the road and so being able to take DSO-1 with me on the go is huge for my lifestyle here. I'll tell you what else I love is the fact that it's backed by science. DSO-1 was developed in collaboration with Seed Scientific Board and based on their foundational work in probiotics and the microbiome and with new clinical trials and breakthrough research published in top scientific journals, Seed's probiotic research research, development, and innovation programs make DSO-1 a product you can trust. And it's great with convenience, too. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when they're used consistently, just like any other routine health habit. And Seed's subscription service is going to easily help build DSO-1 into your routine, again, with no refrigeration required. So, trust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash gojo and use code 25gojo to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash gojo, code 25gojo. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. It is time for a conference championship weekend edition of Miked Up Monday. So, guys, it wasn't exactly the explosive offensive performance that we were thinking we would be seeing in Baltimore between two of the best quarterbacks in the league. But Andy Reid actually was thrilled with one play that Patrick Mahomes did not make. And then how about the Chiefs? You know, I mean, what a great deal that was. Uh, I thought our guys played hard, aggressive football. Um, it always starts with the offensive-defensive line. They, they came out, you know, with a purpose here and – and played their hearts out. Uh, Pat Mahomes did a great job, again, uh, as he normally does. But starting the game off with 11 completions, straight completions, uh, that's something, something special. And then to manage the game, things that get kind of thrown by the side is him taking a sack there at the end. So um, as opposed to trying to fit the ball in, um, he, he took the sack, kept the clock running. Good things happened there. That sort of sums up the game, right? Andy Reid opening his presser talking about a sack. Yeah. It, 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 
Jesse, it's so true, and it's so emblematic of just dead the wholesale transformation that we've watched this Chiefs team do once again. Where yes, they are back for yet another Super Bowl appearance. They've got a chance to repeat as Super Bowl champions the first time since the Patriots teams did that earlier in the 2000s. But the way they've done it now, Dad, really is kind of them morphing into the exact way that teams used to have to beat them. When you thought of the early high-flying Mahomes-led Chiefs, where they're shooting the ball downfield every other play and they're the greatest show on turf to now where you had a team that yes was able to get out to an early lead and then take the air out of the ball and win with defense and win with smart decisions made in the margins and win with that poised dad it's been amazing to see this team so mature and find so many different ways to win against a baltimore team that we talked about was bordering on all-time greatness coming off the season well, I mean, you you talk about poise on one side and you talk about a total lack of it on the other side. I, I, I'm, I'm just, first, kudos to the Chiefs. In what was everybody talking about the Lamar's going to be the MVP, two MVPs facing each other under 30 years old with the greatness of the quarterbacks. I get it now. The, all the talk, again, will be about Lamar not being able to get his team uh, going in the playoffs. And, and we can certainly talk about Lamar holding the ball too long uh, in the pocket if he's going to take off. Got to take off earlier than that. Uh, good coverage by Kansas City in the secondary to boot as well. But I was stunned at, at the lack of discipline by this yeah. team, Patrick Queen doing the headbutt on Travis Kelsey, 15 yards, Pierce the D lineman. Now, I'm not going to blame him much on the paw in the face of Patrick Mahomes. He's just swinging his arm trying to tackle a guy. I get that. But that's a 15-yarder. Clowney roughing the passer, dropping his helmet to hit uh, Pat Mahomes in the chin. Just dumb. And Roquan Smith, I get what he was doing going off sides yeah. at the end to give that. Th this was a really a smart play. Uh, there was a penalty against Baltimore, so uh, the Chiefs had a first and five, and if they got a first down, that restarts it. So basically, that's, and, that's when, and that's when they were trying to run out the clock at the end of the game. Right. The Chiefs were trying right. to run out the clock at the end of that game. They would have started with first and five there. So Roquan Smith, in a smart move, quite honestly, went off sides. So, so the clock didn't run. The, uh, the Chiefs would get five yards and get the first down, so they had to go a full 10 yards then that would have been more palatable for the defense. But he does it by completely running over Trey Smith in a way that you couldn't help but call a personal foul on that, right? Just jump off sides. Don't try and take a guy's head off in doing it. So instead of that, it's 15 yards. Now it's still first and 10. He accomplished what he wanted to, but gave him an extra 10 yards from it as well. But there were, but even before that, there were 12 men on the field to start that drive. How do you change possession and start a drive with 12 men on the field? Some of the mistakes they made were inexcusable, and they cost you as well as far as, as how much yards it cost you. I mean, their penalties... Eight penalties for 95 yards in a game where you had like 15 less plays on offense. You had the ball for 15 minutes less time than Baltimore. You can't give or than, than Kansas City. You can't give them chances. And you have stupid penalties like that that just kept giving them chances and chances. And I know Baltimore fans are going to lose their mind saying the officiating was horrible. There were uh, interference calls that weren't called. I agree. I agree there, sure. there were some missed calls. A lot of people are going to point to the ref, Sean Smith, who has a real history of calling things against the home team. Uh, the, the record of home teams losing when he is the ref is a high percentage. So a lot of people are looking at conspiracy theory. But, man, let me tell you, the ref wasn't doing those dumb things on the field that were costing their team 15 yards. No, it was a total role reversal from last week where we saw the Baltimore Ravens look like the more mature team playing against the Houston Texans that had a great season, but ran into the buzzsaw that were the Ravens and looked out of sorts. Theirs was pre-snap penalties. It was things they were doing where they flinched a bit in the moment. This with Baltimore, you're right, Dad, and you could see it bubbling all game. They let a motion go overboard. Yes. It wasn't just these guys were playing fired up. It's they crossed the line when they got provoked and they let those turn into mistakes that changed the outcome of the game while the Chiefs 
least maintain their poise and weaponize that to go ahead and get the job done in this game. I think you're absolutely right. Poise was the number one thing that I was surprised by. This Ravens team looked like a team making its first appearance with this iteration of the roster in the AFC Championship game, and the Chiefs looked like the team that was right at home and here. And Jesse, as we get to another soundbite, part of the reason for that has been Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey's connection in the playoffs is once again proved to be timeless. A seriously dynamic duo, and there were people before the playoffs who were insinuating that Travis Kelsey was looking washed, and they look pretty stupid now. Here's Patrick Mahomes talking about Travis Kelsey and his leadership. I mean, all week, I mean, rightfully so, we heard about how great their defense was, um, and they were. I mean, they shut us out in the second half. Um, but for Travis, that's like, all right, what, what can I do against this great defense? Um, and so he, he has that mindset, and he led us like that. Every single practice, every single walkthrough, he was focused in, he was locked in, bringing energy. Um, it makes my job a lot easier when you have a guy that's in that room, that tight end room, that receiving room, and he can lead those young guys and show them how we do and, and uh, lead us uh, to an ASC championship. And now he has put Taylor Swift in the position of having to ha. find a way to get back from Tokyo to Las Vegas for the Super Bowl. Yes, the logistical challenge now. We're, we're going to have discussion about the international dateline, all the time changes, the timing of the concerts. It's going to be great. We got the shots of them on the field after the game. People thought they even saw an I Love You mixed in there. The point with her and Andy Reid on the stage was freaking gold. So all of that was great, Dad. But Jesse's absolutely right. The conversation about Travis Kelsey, who did not look himself, who looked like he had finally nope. had father time catch up during the regular season, has now in these last two postseason games. And in this game, you know, last week against Buffalo, they were a depleted linebacker core. The spine of that defense had been so decimated by injury for such a long time. You figured he was going to have a chance to go off there. But this week, Dad, Roquan Smith in that linebacker core. Kyle Hamilton, who you heard Tony Romo say in the game, hadn't allowed a touchdown to a tight end in coverage the entire season and made that high degree of difficulty play to start the things off for the Chiefs. His playmaking ability in so many critical spots early while they had gotten a chance to get through Baltimore's defensive armor was the biggest reason. Uh, 11 catches for 116 yards and a touchdown in this game why they were able to make this happen. Yeah, 11 targets, 11 catches. Rasheed Rice, nine targets, eight catches. 19 catches of the 30 completions for Mahomes were those two guys. And, and let's also be honest, these defenses both played excellent, right? This was a 17-7 game at half. This game was three to nothing in the second half. Let's remember, Kansas City was shut out in the second half. Baltimore got a field goal. Kansas City got nothing. So these two defenses were impressive. And, you know, Kelsey looked great uh, when he needed to, for sure. Mike, as we discuss his game throughout the morning, I, I have to bring it up. Why? Why? All we talked about was Todd Munkin and how he changed this offense, and it was fantastic. Yeah. How in, in God's green earth do Gus Edwards and Justice Hill get six carries between them? How, how is that even possible that you don't run these guys more in a game that was never completely out of reach? I do not understand that at all. No, and we can talk a lot about that coming up next. As we say, congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs, who once again, are, were, they're making us numb with the greatness that we should absolutely stop to appreciate. But instead, we're going to take a look at the Baltimore Ravens and wonder just how much slander is coming Lamar Jackson and Todd Munkin's way today. Sound the trumpets, it's horse racing time. So saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLIT. Only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18+, plus, 21+, plus in certain states, to open or access an account and resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wager within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at dkhorse.com.
Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. Guys, it's time for us to talk about the teams whose seasons came to an end, who will not be headed to Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. Let's start with the Ravens here. Everybody was sort of talking about how the Ravens were the team to beat in the playoffs. They looked amazing. They looked incredible. They let that opportunity slip through their hands. They didn't look like the team that we've seen all season and in the postseason. So where do they go from here, okay? Because they should be in the mix, like, coming next year. But with the AFC North, you never know. No, Dad, and I mean, the AFC North's going to get Joe Burrow back next year. Who yep. knows what the Pittsburgh Steelers do now post-Matt Canada long-term there offensively and what that starts to look like. Obviously, the Browns, even on their fourth quarterback, were contenders this year. So there's a lot to get with that. But I think, Dad, the overall sentiment I walked away with, and I'm sure a lot of other people did, is if it wasn't going to be now, then when? If not against this year's versions of the Kansas City Chiefs that seemed as vulnerable as any in this in this version of the Mahomes and uh, and Andy Reid tandem that we've got in Kansas City, when were you going to get over on them? Baltimore can add more in the receiving depth, certainly, to help out around Zay Flowers, who seems like he's going to be the dude that's the tip of the spear there. But with this defense and the way that they had performed this year and the opportunity that they lost, this is a huge blow to the chances of this roster getting back and being able to do this again. Yeah, it is, without a doubt. Now, let's also remember, Baltimore was basic. While Lamar's going to be the MVP, a lot of this team was led by the defense. The offense, even though the offense, I think, what was nine of the games, they won by some, you know, by 14 or more. Amount, you know, 14 or more. They've been blowing teams out. But I still put a lot of that on the defense, holding teams. Uh, they were the number one scoring defense in the league. So I still think it's a team led by the defense. But Lamar does so many special things, especially with his legs. And he got receivers this year. So I don't want to get too carried away. This isn't a prolific offense by any stretch. It was a better offense through the year with Todd Munkin running the show as the coordinator. But it's not, I don't, in my eyes, I don't think it's a prolific offense. So let's also give credit to the Chiefs defense, which played extremely well. Spagnuolo, the, the D coordinator, he came after Lamar. I mean, how many times yeah. was he bringing extra rushers? Something I thought was what Baltimore didn't do. Baltimore really just rushed four a lot occasionally. We would see five, six guys at the line for Baltimore trying to confuse. I didn't see a lot of that in this game, Mike. I was a little confused uh, by that, by Mike McDonald, the D coordinator, on that side of the ball. I know you're going against Patrick Mahomes, but I think you kind of got away from what you normally did. That being I said... Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, I, I think you're right, especially because I, I think we should be clear on this. The Baltimore Ravens defense did their part in this game. Yes. They gave them a yes. chance to win over and over again. You mentioned the second half was three to nothing with the way both those defenses were playing. Baltimore was a brick freaking wall in the second half. Yep. But you're right in that first half. It was a lot of rush for you saw very different strategies with these quarterbacks blitzing Pat Mahomes is historically oh. a terrible decision, but right. for Lamar Jackson, especially with what we saw, unfortunately creep into the picture a little bit too much this year is trouble on the edges of the D or the offense for Baltimore and drew tranquil in particular, the linebacker matchups on the running backs for the Baltimore Ravens were one sided with wins for the Kansas city chiefs. there, able to get home and able to rattle Lamar Jackson in the pocket while they covered well in the back end. It, it, it's something that isn't talked about a lot with a running back because with a running back, you talk about how they run, how they catch the ball. But let me kind of like offense, defense, special teams, there's a third part to a running back, and that's picking up a blitz. And, man, they did not do that well. I mean, and you see that in one-on-one -on -one competition all the time in training camp, not just O-line, D-line. You see running back, linebacker, and they work on that. And KC was getting the better of this from the defensive side with their blitzers getting by the backs for Baltimore and putting that pressure on Lamar Jackson. And for Lamar, uh, again, I don't think Todd Munkin helped the situation a lot by only running his other two backs six times total. I, I will continue to say that surprised me. Again, Gus Edwards, three carries, averaged almost seven yards a carry. And Justice Hill, three carries for just three yards. Lamar ran eight times for 54 yards. But I, I thought started running too late at times, Mike. He was and, and give Kansas City a credit because when they're blitzing, a lot of times you're playing man behind you. And they were blanketing the receivers pretty well yeah. back there. And Lamar would hold it, hold it, hold it. And then he would take off. 
I thought he should made a decision to run a little earlier because he can, or at least escape the pocket. He was really holding and waiting for a guy to break free in the secondary, and they just weren't. So again, kudos to the KC defense for that. But I think Lamar could have been handled a little, little different here through the bad interception into triple coverage in yeah. the end zone. Certainly, it looked like interference. The Gene Steratore, who I know and love incredibly well, I worked with him in Super Bowls. I thought was wrong when he said the contact happened after the interception. No, it didn't. The contact happened yeah. before the interception. And it looked like the ref was reaching for a flag and ended up not throwing that flag. But again, a poor decision by Lamar Jackson to throw the ball into that coverage. So there was uh, – and so Lamar is going to get questioned, and I understand. Not question his MVP status for the regular season. That's fine. But with Lamar, we know what we're talking about. We're not talking about the regular season anymore. It's the second time he's going to win it. We know how great he can be. He, with the level that he's playing, has to be able to lead his team further. By the way, a team with the best defense in the league as well, and they couldn't get it done. Yeah, I, I do think we underrate how – we talk about the Kansas City Chiefs defense and the way that that affected Lamar Jackson's performance. I don't have any concerns about Lamar coming off this game that are like existential long-term about his ability to lead your team in places. I'm with you. The game plan seemed a bit interesting to start with how little they relied on the ground game there. I give credit to Spags for bringing pressure and taking away the middle of the field. What did we see so much of over the course of the day? A lot of overthrown go balls on the outside yeah. that were yes. just landing at guys' feet. And Lamar Jackson had hit on a lot of those throws deep into the left specifically for a lot of the year. But in this game, outside of that one deep shot on a blown coverage to Zay Flowers, there really wasn't much connection between him and those receivers on a lot of those deep passes that normally they'd hit. Because, Dad, what you described in him buying time in the pocket, it's what I thought he had done so much better this year, is it wasn't just breaking off. It was he made big plays in the pass game because he was able to manipulate the pocket. But today, the Chiefs were able to close the net a lot better. They were winning those backs-on-backers matchups. They were getting wins on on the perimeter of that offensive line and that was the difference in the entire game was that coverage and rush matched up so well for Kansas City that it left Lamar Jackson with nowhere to go and really lacking the complimentary run game that had been the star of the show you mentioned it wasn't a prolific offense maybe overall they were the number one rush offense in football and that didn't right. show up today no no it didn't and listen I, I know Baltimore fans got the conspiracy theory out why do you call a taunting on Zay Flowers when Travis Kelsey was in everybody's face you have to understand, gang, when, when two guys are in each other's face, they're not going to call anything. That's just jawing back and forth. That's not taunting. But unfortunately, when Patrick Queen goes in and then headbutts a guy who is – or was it was – it, no, it was Van Noy, I think. I, I can't remember yeah. who it was. Uh, I think it was Van Noy who headbutted him. That you can't do. Zay Flowers, you can, pushing the guy off of him after the catch, they're not going to call. You can't spin the ball next to the guy and then do the crab pose over him. You can't do it. And, and, and the only... You should be able to. I mean, you should at, be able to, some by point, the way. Taunting is cool. You should be able to, but you absolutely uh, can't in that spot. I 1,000% agree with you, but you can't, and you know it. He's a rookie, so I don't know if people are going to get him a pass for being a rookie. But once you get past half the season your rookie year, you ain't a rookie anymore, okay, when you're out in the field that much. You can't do that. that, that, that he gave the rest two reasons to call taunting. Not one. Not just spinning the ball I mean, almost on top of him, but then crabbing over him. You cannot do that. Just another. And well, then, listen, I get the aggressiveness of diving for the end zone, but you know as well, I heard you say it when you were out there doing, doing uh, uh, um, segments on, on, on Instagram and Twitter, you, you can't dive and try and reach the ball over the goal line like that. You just no. can't do it. Nope. I, I, again, the plays that undermined the Baltimore offense because they were in position to win this game in the second half because of the opportunities their defense gave them came down to bad interception by Lamar Jackson and bad decision by Zay Flowers on what should have been a scoring drive for them coming off a big play. He gave them an opportunity, but that was the spot. I think even more so than the taunting where the youth yeah. showed up in yes. that moment to try and reach out and get it all in one play, try and make it all back in one hand instead of having the patience to pair carry out the rest of that drive and that's why Baltimore is going back home with a lot of questions about how they get over this Kansas City hump. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik, America's team, the Detroit Lions, Dan Campbell, America's coach. They are not headed to the Super Bowl. 
Guys, there's a lot of like Super Bowl playoff hangovers that we talk about as we do postmortem for teams here, but this one feels a little bit different. So just to bring this up, like the Falcons went back to the playoffs the year after their Super Bowl appearance, but then had six straight losing seasons after. Dan Campbell said in the postgame presser, he was like, this might have been it. This might have been our shot. So I don't know. How do we feel about that? How does Detroit bounce back? Even Dan Campbell said it could be a tall task. Dan, I appreciated that level of honesty from Dan, and I think it's one of the many places where his status as a former player doing this really shines through because he's honest with his guys in a way that most people might gloss over because he knows from experience as a player that just because you get close to the prize once or even get a chance to play in a Super Bowl doesn't guarantee you re-entry. The history of this league is littered with guys who got there early in their careers or got there at any point and thought, oh, we'll have a chance to get back, and it never materializes because of how much things change in this league. That division, we talked about the AFC North and all the changes coming next year with Jordan Love and the Packers on the rise, what the Minnesota Vikings are going to turn into maybe post-Kirk Cousins now, the Bears with all the draft capital and progress they made this season. He knows it's going to be extremely difficult, so I appreciated that level of honesty from Dan with his team basically saying, hey, you got to cherish these opportunities because you're not guaranteed a damn thing. No, no, you're definitely not. Uh, so you look at what they can build off of. Now, the good thing for them, Mike, is – the, the, the team's pretty young. I mean, not as young as Green Bay, but how well they drafted and production they're getting out of first, second, and third-year players. I mean, this draft, we talk about this draft class alone and what they've been able to do. Um, I think four, you know, it's been Campbell on the defense and Laporta and Gibbs, and I'm missing somebody else uh, as well. There were four that were contributing, but, but first, second, and third-year guys. So, you don't have to worry about their contracts yet. Maybe if you're going to extend somebody, possibly. I think they're 58 mil under the cap, I believe, if I'm looking at the correct numbers. Next year, your biggest cap hits are golf at 32 million. You do have uh, Taylor Decker at 19 million and Ragnow at 12. So basically, the two of them are equal to golf. But you have room under the cap. Maybe you rework one of those deals to give you even more money. But they've had such success with contributing players that are young, that they're not in position yet to have to pay those guys, that I think they're sitting in a pretty good position to how they're going to manufacture this team next year. And, and you're right. You expect every year other teams in your divisions to get better. But you also expect your team to get better unless there's a team changing a quarterback, which the Bears may be doing, going back uh, sure. to a rookie in Minnesota changing quarterbacks probably so you have to wait and see there I still think they're sitting pretty good in that division on on where they go but for them now uh Dan Campbell has them believing guys it's not just about making the playoffs anymore we're we're there you know now it's about how far do we go we made the NFC championship game this year and while it's very difficult to say oh we'll get there again next year it is hard to do, but the goal is that's how far we got. So the expectation out of players and coaches is to get farther the next year. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And there's areas they can still improve, right? We talked about their secondary coming into this game was an area we expected the Chiefs to potentially target right. and try and take advantage of. You could probably make some improvements at the linebacker level on offense. You can continue to add weapons in that receiving core around Amon Ross St. Brown, who did a great job as the slot. You saw Jamison Williams starting to get used more as that speed threat on the outside. But, Dan, I do think one of the existential questions for the Lions is going to be there's no denying you saw Jared Goff's ceiling pop up again, right? Where yeah, if you're yeah. in a position where all of a sudden the opposing team can get pressure and it's not just, hey, he's behind the perfect meat shield offensive line operating and play action. It was a non-compete from Jared Goff in this game in those circumstances. And that does have to be somewhat concerning for you going forward. Because like you mentioned, Taylor Decker is starting to get up there in years. Frank Ragnow's body is beat to hell. That guy's yes. an absolute warrior yeah. for going out there, ending the week without a designation going into this game, knowing the kind of pain he was in, making his way through that. And so it it's it's an interesting situation for them because the circumstances have to be just so for you to get the best out of Jared Goff. And in a world where we're going to wait around this week to see if Ben Johnson's one of the names called for right. the last couple right. of head coaching vacancies here and how that might work out. I do wonder if some worry creeps into the heads of Lions fans after seeing what they got out of their quarterback in certain spots this weekend. So that's going to be first about Ben Johnson. People are going to say, did this hurt Ben Johnson? No, I mean, they had a 24 to seven lead 
at halftime. Now, do you question some things in the second half? Yes. Do I question the run at the goal line uh, instead of passing the ball like, like, we have, uh, like we've talked about, which forced them to onside kick? But one play here or there, it's not going to cost a guy his job. I think he's going to be the no. coach of the Washington Commanders, so I do think he's going to be gone. But we all know it's about the quarterback, right? So Jared Goff has one more year on his deal. As I mentioned, next year, he's, I think he's about a $31, $32 million cap hit. Um, so you, you, they're going to ride that, right? But then it's like, do you continue with that or do you start? Because you, what you don't want to do is take a step back, right, when you change quarterbacks. So you, you don't want to go to a rookie after that, especially when you're as good as you are, you're picking in the back part of the draft anyway. So that's something they need to think about Unless you're talking about extending Jared Goff and keeping him as the quarterback of that team, I'm with you. You see some good, you see some bad, so you wonder, is the ceiling enough for this team? For next year, it's going to have to be, because I don't see them making any changes. But you always have to look ahead. What's the year after that going to look like? Where do we start looking if we're not going to extend Goff as a quarterback because we want a ready-made quarterback because this team, as I said, young contributing talent that's just going to continue to get better. You don't want to take a step back with a rookie quarterback, in my opinion. Nope, I completely agree. And Jared Goff's in an interesting position because he can be a high-level starter for you. He's done a ton of good things for that team this year. He's been a very good quarterback in certain ways, but it still doesn't feel like, given where he's at in his career and given what the other needs for this Lions team might be, that he's your franchise guy going forward. And I know Dan Campbell and this organization have been hyper-loyal and hyper-supportive to him, and I respect and appreciate that. But I do wonder, and this will be one of the big questions for them, is when it comes time to make the hard decision about that, Will a lot of that loyalty leak into the conversation in a way that ultimately hurts your team? Or are they going to be able to do what's necessary if it does come to that? And if you get a season next year that once again ends at least in part because of some of the limitations shown at that position, because in general, dad, I agree with you, the culture of this team. And I know that's a word we beat into the ground and sometimes a crutch, but it's real. We've watched the lions slowly build to this point under Dan Campbell, who has not been afraid of doing things and shouldering the load when it comes to the criticism, the way that he's going to operate. There is a belief in the way that he has built this program for himself and certainly for the guys on that team that emanated into this weekend. And there's going to be a bunch of the people that say it cost them there. And I will once again go back to, I would rather go down with my... I would rather go down with my head coach being exactly who he's been the entire time. Dan Campbell's got the courage and leadership necessary to make hard decisions and withstand the criticism on the other side. I think most of the rest of this conversation around all that comes from the fact that most of us are generally wild. And I've lumped myself into this. Making a pivotal decision like that, most of us are wired to be cowards. Most of us are wired to turtle up in there. I would rather take the brave lunatic who's willing to go out like that than the alternative 10 out of 10 times. Yeah, listen, I agree. I don't think anybody's going to question. Um, and, and just because you go for it on fourth out doesn't mean it, it's not like, oh, my God, it's the toughest guy around. Now, he is basically the toughest guy around just by physical yeah, attributes. Right. But, you know, th- there can be the right call and, and sometimes a hard-headed call. But he's been doing it all year. So I, I'm not I, – you and me, I both are not coming down too hard on him for that. Though, like I said – I could have justified a field goal in one or both of those situations without question, but had much bigger issue with running at the goal line before you got your final touchdown. And real quick and looking forward, because I, I just looked at it and I'd forgotten this, next year golf will be your starter. And then I said you want kind of a guy, but even though this guy will have not have played, he would be in his third year. They do have Hendon Hooker on their roster. I loved Hendon Hooker in Tennessee. And I, I, I'm going way ahead now. So I'm, I'm, I just kind of put that – I just saw that right now. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll put that aside. I just wanted to get that out there. Uh, it'll be golf next year for sure. And like I said, this team's expectation is to get farther than where we got this year, and that would be to the Super Bowl. Yep, it is Super Bowl or bust time in Detroit, which is a great opportunity to recognize, hey, they've reset expectations massively there in a short time, and that's a huge victory in and of itself.